Well, uh, welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us today. Um, and uh, we're going to be jumping into God's Word together. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. And if you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you. You can grab one of those and follow along that way as well. Uh, if you're visiting with us, as Chris said, man, we're so glad you're here. If we can help you or serve you in any way, please let us know. We would love to do that and, and love to help you in, with anything you might need today. Um, so today we are in um, our Upside Down Kingdom series. We actually started this way back in the fall, and we, we were working through it all fall, and we kind of took a break for Christmas and for our God's Money series. We're going to come back now, we're going to finish the last part of this leading up to Easter. And so this series is based in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and as of today, we are officially now in chapter 7. Uh, so we are getting to the end of this thing, so we'll go ahead and get to Matthew chapter 7 with me. And um, we've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount because this is Jesus' most concise, most clear, most here is what you need to know to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be a follower, to be part of the kingdom. And so he's given us some really clear instructions on different topics. And uh, today he's bringing us to a topic that I think is very uh, timely uh, for our um, culture and for where we're at, and maybe even kind of a little touchy. Uh, so we're going to kind of work through this together like that. But um, today we're going to talk about uh, judging others. And um, so, you know, we, we have a lot of things that people think and say about that today. So we're going to see what God's Word says about it. Um, I was studying this week, I came across this story um, about this, this old man and his uh, young son, and they were traveling from their house into town one day, and they, were, they had their donkey with them, and they were going into town to get some supplies and stuff. And so as they're walking in uh, with, the, with the donkey, they're walking up, and this guy kind of passes by them, and they're like, and this guy kind of makes kind of this kind of snide comment, and he's like, what is wrong with you guys? What a waste. Like, you got this donkey. Nobody's using it. Nobody's riding on it. Like, he's made to be used. Like, you're just wasting this donkey. And so the old guy was like, well, Okay, I guess kind of got a point. And so, so the old man climbs up on the donkey and starts riding in on the donkey, and the young boy's kind of pulling it. And so they're walking a little bit further, and they come across then this group of women are coming back from the market. And uh, they're kind of, you know, chattering and doing their little thing. And, and uh, they, he, they hear them murmuring to one another, like, can you believe it? Can you look at that old man, like, making that young boy walk all the way into town when he's riding on the donkey? Like, he's perfectly capable of walking. And so the guy's like, okay, well, maybe they've got a point there. So he gets off the donkey, and he puts the young boy up on the donkey, and so they keep walking, and so they come back, and now they, they, they pass another group of people, and this time it's a bunch of guys going out to the fields to work, and the, the guys are like, what is wrong with you, man? Like, you got, you got, your, you got your dad here, and, and you're, you're making him walk, and you're young and strong, and you could be walking, and he, you're making him walk, and you're riding on the donkey, and they're like, okay, whatever. So, so like, right, we, we got we to gotta, we gotta fix this. We're, we're going to both ride on the donkey. So they both climb up on the donkey, and so now they're heading into town, and again, they pass somebody, and they're like, I, well, I won't say what group they belong to, but um, they're like, oh, look at that poor donkey, like all that weight on him, and those guys could walk, and, and they're making that donkey carry all that weight, and that's just not right, and so the old man's like, fine, I'm, I'm done. I'm fed up. The guy, had, well, he had had it, so he gets off, so finally, they come walking into town, and everyone is shocked to see the old man carrying the donkey on his back as they come in to town. Um, but that's kind of how it is in life sometimes, right? Like, it seems like no matter what you do, no matter what you say, you can't please somebody. And it's always easier to complain and to criticize what someone else is doing than to actually come along and maybe try to help be part of the solution. You know what I'm talking about? And so we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about that today because the same thing is true for us. And, and Jesus is going to address that with his disciples. So here's the main point today. Wise judgment leads me to care and counsel, not condemn. Wise judgment 
leads me to care and counsel, not condemn. So go ahead and look at verse 1, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus starts off like this. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you, use, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? First thing today, point number one, discern, don't condemn. Okay? Discern, don't condemn. Jesus starts with this pretty uh, brash statement. He says, judge not. All right? So what exactly does Jesus mean when he says judge not? And I, the reason I said earlier this is kind of a timely issue is because I'm sure you guys are aware that today in, our, in America, especially, we are living in a culture of tolerance. That is the primary agenda. That is the primary uh, uh, mindset of our culture is that idea of tolerance. That everyone's entitled to their own thoughts, their own opinions, their own beliefs, their own truth. And on top of that, no one is allowed to challenge you on what you believe because if you challenge them and if you disagree with them, then you are not just disagreeing, you are actually being judgmental. Are you tracking with me? Have you seen this? So, so judgment, being judgmental, is the cardinal sin in a culture of tolerance. That's the absolute worst thing you can be in a culture of tolerance is judgmental or at least perceived that way. And so I believe that what this is doing for us as a people is it's discouraging us from critical thinking. And it's removing all opportunity for constructive dialogue and constructive communication where we are exchanging ideas and pushing on one another to get to the best possible solution and ideas that are available. There was a recent study that the Barna group did, a research group, um, and they were, did a survey, a survey study of millennial practicing Christians. Okay, that's a whole lot of buzzwords there. So the, the youngest generation of Christians who are actually active in their faith. That's basically what we're talking about, okay? And here's what they found out. When they surveyed them, that group said 95% of them said they believe being a witness for Jesus is an important part of their faith. Like, we can, we can clap for that. That's good news right there, guys. Like, that the, the newest generation of Christians coming up saying, it's important that we are sharing our faith with other people. It's part of following Jesus, which it is. But then they found this. 47% said that they believe it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will convert. Yes, we're supposed to share Jesus, but we're not really allowed to do it because it's wrong because then that feels like I'm judging them if I tell them that my beliefs are right and their beliefs are wrong. Do you see the conflict here? Do you see the problem? And so that's the first issue I think around this. And then the second thing, the thing that makes it touchy is that um, it seems to be kind of the status quo um, view of Christians by non-believers is that they are indeed judgmental, right? Have you been encountered with this? Like, I don't know how many times I will hear um, non-believers, like the one thing they know from the Bible that they can quote is, doesn't the Bible say you're not supposed to judge? Who's heard that before, right? So like that's like a status quo thing for them. That's the way they see us. And because of that, because that's the biggest criticisms of Christians is that they're judgmental and hypocritical, that leads many Christians then to overcorrect and good, try to avoid all perception of judgment or anything at all. I'm gonna run the other direction and stay as far away from that as I can because I don't wanna be labeled like that. And then we just shut our mouths and we just walk the other way. 
But it's also a troublesome issue even for us as believers because when you start to study the Bible on this issue of judgment, we actually find out that it kind of seems like there's, it says two different things, right? Like right here, Jesus very clearly says, judge not. In John 7, 24, Jesus is speaking, and he says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So here Jesus is saying, judge not. Over here, Jesus is saying, judge correctly. And even later on in this passage in Matthew, Jesus is going to judge some people by saying that they're not worthy or holy enough to have certain things. And so what does all that mean? How do we make sense of that? Well, here's, I think, the real key to unlocking this whole idea around judgment in Christianity and how this plays out. As you study God's word, you find that the word judge actually has two meanings in God's word depending on the context which should not be strange to us because there's lots of words in our English language that have multiple meanings depending on what context you're using them in, right? You track with me there? So the same thing is true here. So two meanings for the word judge. The first one is condemn. The first thing that judge means, sometimes it means to condemn. That's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 7. When he says judge not, he's really saying condemn not, okay? Um, uh, the, way, the way that we know that, this is a great kind of Bible study tip for you, in the Gospels, a lot of times there's parallel passages. So this same teaching of Jesus in Matthew, we also find in Luke chapter 6, all right? And in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, Luke explains a little bit more of what Jesus was saying. And he says this, judge not and you will not be judged, semicolon, condemn not and you will not be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven. So there he's drawing a parallel there between judge and condemn. Do you see that? He's using them kind of interchangeably. So that's what it means in this context. Another example of that meaning would be John 3.17. In the ESV it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Some of you might have a different translation, like the New American Standard, or the New Living Translation, or some of the older translations. Instead of the word condemn there, they actually use the word judge. That he did not come in to, to judge the world. All right? So sometimes in God's word, judge means condemn. Other times, the word judge means discern. That's the second meaning, is to discern, okay? A couple examples of this, Luke 7, 43. Jesus is having a discussion with his disciples, and he asked them a question. And Simon Peter, it says here, says, Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. In other words, you have discerned correctly. You have figured out the right answer to the question, all right? So that's an example of the, the meaning discern. Another one would be Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirits, uh, spirit and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Again, in some of the other translations, it would use the word to, in uh, judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Okay? So judge can mean two things. It can mean condemn. It can mean discern. And we actually, interestingly enough, there's one verse where we see both definitions used side by side in the same sentence. So that would be uh, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one says this. But if we judged ourselves truly, discern, if we discerned our hearts truly, he says, then we would not be judged by God, condemned for our sin. So if we discern our hearts and our sin correctly and we repent of it, then we won't have to stand before God in judgment of that sin and condemnation later on. Do you see that contrast there? 
So these two meanings are critical for us understanding and applying God's word correctly to our lives and not allowing it to be hijacked um, just by popular opinion. So when Jesus is talking to us here in Matthew chapter 7, what he's prohibiting is condemnation of others, but not discernment with others. He's saying don't condemn, but he's not telling us not to be discerning. Are you tracking? Okay. So with that in mind, Let's kind of look at what he says. He gives us three reasons why we should not be condemning. He says, condemn not, uh, first reason, because you will be condemned. He says, judge not that you be not judged by others, all right? In other words, if you go around and start condemning other people for their sin and start pointing out all their stuff and and ragging on them because of their sinful hearts and their sinful actions, guess what they're going to do to you? (laughs) They're going to turn it right back around. And I think uh, if we're honest, we can all say they would be able to find some stuff, right? Um, you've heard the saying before, right? People who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, okay? Same idea. I shouldn't be condemning someone else for their sin because guess what? I've got plenty of it in my own heart to deal with as well. And they're going to turn right, right around and do the same thing to me. He goes on, second reason, because you will stand before the judge. He says, with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. This time, not just by people, but by God. Romans 14.10 says it like this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. There is one true and righteous judge, and you're not him. And I'm not him. Right? And we will all stand before him one day. And we need to be understanding and ready for that for ourselves, but because of that same truth, I am not in a place to stand in judgment over other people's sin and condemn them for it. What we should be doing in response to the sin of others is not condemnation, but grace. Why? Because that's what we got. The only one who could righteously stand over us and actually judge and condemn and give punishment and wrath for our sin said, you know what? You, I know you can't fix this. I know you can't be good enough to, to correct your sin. You can't do enough good deeds to earn your way back. There's no way that you can fix your sin problem on your own, so I'm going to help you. I'm going to send my son, the perfect son of God, to come and be perfect in your place and go to the cross and die a sinner's death to take his perfection and sacrifice it in my place to cover the guilt of my sin on the cross. As my substitute, he took what I deserved, what you deserved. And he paid that price and he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life to show that he was God and to prove that he was who he said he was and to offer us grace and forgiveness instead of of condemnation for our sin. And for all who will believe and put their faith in Jesus alone, he will cleanse you of your sin and you will no longer stand in condemnation of the wrath of God. And if you haven't done that yet, if you have not yet turned and put your faith in Jesus, man, do that today. Don't stand another day underneath the wrath and judgment and condemnation of a holy and perfect God. You do not want to be there. Okay? So we don't condemn because they'll condemn us because 
we're going to stand before the one who actually is the judge. And the third reason is because you're not qualified. You're not qualified to be someone else's judge, and neither am I. And so Jesus kind of lays out here in a somewhat funny way um, what this looks like. He says, first of all, you're not qualified because you're critical, because you have a critical spirit. He says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? When he says speck here, he literally means like a little tiny piece of sawdust. Right? Are you ever like working in, on some wood or something, and you're cutting something, and the sawdust kind of sprays up, and you get a little bit in your eye, and you're like, you can't even hardly see it yourself, right? But you know it's there because it's a, it annoys the stink out of you. That's the nastiest way I can say that. Um, he's like, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? You would only see something that small, that far, if you were looking for it. If you're going looking for sin in other people so that you can condemn them and make yourself feel better about how holy you are. That's the spirit Jesus is talking about here. That comes from a heart of self-righteousness and pride and nothing to do with what Jesus is all about. He says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eyes when you don't even notice the log in your own eye? The log here literally means like a plank or a board, okay? And so, like, let's say this is our log here. Jason, come here for a second. I need, I need, I need a person. Um, so he's saying, no, no, come up here. Come on. It's safe. So he's like, how can you see the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log sticking out of your own eye? You don't even notice this, but you notice that? This is what Jesus is saying. Like, don't ever tell me Jesus isn't funny, right? Like, this is, this is a thing. And so for me to have a board sticking out of my eye is a complete lack of self-assessment, self-awareness. Like, and this right here is the default of a sinful heart. That I'm always looking out there and I'm not looking in here. Right? I'm not examining myself. I'm not dealing with my stuff. I'm always wanting to look at other people's stuff rather than my stuff. He says, you're not qualified because you're critical, because you're clueless, and because you're careless. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck while you still got a board in your eyes. Like, me going, hey, come here, let me, let me get that thing out of your eye right there. And all of a sudden, I'm like knocking him in the head with my board, right? Like, I can't even correctly do what I need to do because I got my stuff that's going to injure him more than whatever is already in his eye. Thanks, bud. I'm so focused on somebody else that I fail to see how my sin is actually making it worse. How do we do this? How do we be careless when it comes to dealing with sin in our lives or in the lives of others? I think one of the ways that we're careless is just with our words, with the off the cuff, in the heat of the moment comment when you're in the group, when you're around the person and you make the snide remark about their parenting or about their job or about the purchase they made or whatever the thing is. And we, we tend to do this more with people that we're closer to, like family or friends, because we're more comfortable there. And so we'll kind of let, we'll let stuff just kind of spill out and we're not really guarding it and thinking about it. And then when we make a comment and like we're the perfect parent or like we've got it all together and our finances are in order or whatever the thing is, we have to be careful with that because that's just being careless with our words and it's smacking people with our board 
when we're trying to point out something in their eye. Another way that I think is really prevalent with this today in our society is with social media and Facebook. You know, there's some issues and there's some things going on in the world right now that I know are very important issues and we have, we're very passionate about and we have some strong opinions about and I'm not saying we shouldn't have those opinions, but when we're posting or yet worse, reposting somebody else's comment or somebody else's stuff to condemn someone else for their opposing view on that issue, is that really helping the situation? Is that really helping them get the speck out of their eye in any way? Or am I just swinging around my own stuff? It's, it's, it's not, it's just careless. It's just careless. I think one of the ways that we do this the most is through self-talk. Maybe you don't have the guts to say anything out loud or maybe you're more poised and enough to keep your mouth shut, but in your head, those tapes are running, and you're like, I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe they would wear that in public. That they would go there, that they would buy that, whatever the thing is. And although we're not saying it out loud, in our head, we are judging and we're condemning that person. And guess what? Even though it's not coming out of our mouth, if it's happening in your head, it's also happening in your heart. And we're being careless we're judging and we're condemning when we aren't qualified to do that. I don't know if any of you guys have seen uh, the new recent um, AT&T commercials. Have you guys seen these new commercials that have been playing like ever since Super Bowl? Um, there's this one with the surgeon that's like really great. I want, to, I want you to check this out. It's real short. Check this out. Have you ever worked for Dr. Francis? Oh yeah. He's okay. Just okay? Guess who just got reinstated? Well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. Just okay is not okay. It's... All right, so who wants that surgeon working on them? Right? Nobody, nobody wants it because he is obviously not qualified. Are you tracking with me? Right? The same thing is true for us. We're not the ones who are qualified to condemn other people's sin. I'm not God. You're not God. We're not fit for that. Theologian John Stott had a quote on this I thought was really good. He said this. He said, the command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men in other words, cease to see things and observe things, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God. When I go from discerning and having a healthy conversation after I've dealt with my own heart to condemning and chastising and tearing down someone else for what they've done or what they've said or what they think, I've moved from being a gracious sinner saved by grace who's trying to lead someone to the truth to trying to be a holy God and doing a really bad job at it. I have no place to condemn because I am not the righteous judge. But Jesus goes on 
And he gives us some more follow-up, which I think is super helpful. Take a look at verse 5. He says, you hypocrite. That's not the helpful part, by the way. Um, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Point number two is this. Care with humility. Care with humility. He starts off and he calls them a hypocrite because of their condemning behavior. Because a hypocrite is someone who confronts sin in others without first confronting sin in yourself. He says, don't do that. He says, in order to not be a hypocrite, he says, first, take the log out of your own eye. Deal with your own stuff first. Your own heart, your own sin. Inspect yourself first. I think the reason he used a log in the size of it compared to the spec is I know and I see my sin better and far more clearly and far more often than I see anybody else's sin. And so my sin should be bigger, or it is bigger, in my eyes than anybody else's. I don't know which one of us technically has more on God's, you know, scorecard or whatever, but I can tell you this, I don't know your stuff nearly as well as I know my stuff, and I got plenty to deal with. So I don't need to be worrying about trying to deal with yours at the same time. Jesus says, get rid of your own log. And to do that, it takes repentance. Repentance. Because as I repent and as I get this sin out of my life, not only does it get me free from that, it also brings humility. Repentance leads to humility because I remember what it was like to have the stuff and have to repent and have to humble myself and deal with it before a holy God. He says, first remove the log, then you will see clearly. That is such an awesome statement right there. You might want to underline that. Then, not then go take the speck out. No, no. Then you will see clearly. Because sin distorts my vision. It blurs my vision. It's kind of like the fog of war. You guys ever heard that term, the fog of war? Like in, in the middle of war and in the middle of the battle, there's all the, the noise and the, all the commotion and all the stuff going on. And people can't think straight and they can't see straight and it's just crazy chaos and they don't always know exactly what to do. Sin is like that. When I've got sin in my life, it blurs my vision and I'm in the fog of sin and I can't always see clearly to know what's next and what to do and how to help. But once I get that out through repentance and humility then I can come with grace and clarity to help others. He says, then you will see clearly to take the speck out. I like how he doesn't leave that part off. He's not saying that you still shouldn't help your brother get rid of the speck. He's just like, you gotta do your stuff first. Then you'll see clearly to help him. We still have a responsibility to help one another. That is part of the Christian life. That is part of being part of God's family is that we help one another with our stuff. But how do I do that with care, with humility, rather than with pride and judgment? Well, I think Hebrews 4.12 that I read earlier is really helpful on this. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
once I've repented, once I got rid of my stuff and I'm coming humbly, the best way I can come is not with Micah's opinions, not with Micah's ideas, not with the latest thing that I read on the blog or the last book or whatever. I can come and say, hey, here's what God's word says. Compare your heart not to me, not to your neighbor, not to whatever you saw on TV or whatever you heard from somebody down the street, but compare it to this. What does God's word say? This is what brings us to a place of understanding our sin and being able to remove it from our lives. This is why small groups are so essential in our church. I know you hear me talk about this a lot, and you probably get sick of it, and if you would all get in a small group, I wouldn't have to talk about it anymore, okay? So, like, you can help me out. I'll help you out. So, like, if you're not in a small group, get in a small group because this is what it is. We come together. We discuss God's word and how to apply it to our lives. We discuss how do I get the logs out of my life according to God's word. And then we come together in mutual ministry time, men with men, women with women, and we talk honestly and transparently about here's my stuff. And they get to see me taking logs out of my eye and out of my life. And as they see me doing that, guess what they they do? They become open to letting me help them take specks out of theirs. And they can help me take specks out of mine. And it becomes this mutual partnership where we're in this together and we're all working on the sin thing in the same direction. If you want to be cared for in this church, in your life, in your sin, get in a small group. If you want to help care for others in their sin and in their struggles, get in a small group. This is where the real life work of the church happens. Sunday mornings is great. We love it. We come here. We get fired up. We get our eyes fixed on Jesus. But we go out and we do the real work of following Christ. And that happens through one-on-one discipleship. You know, God in his um, infinite wisdom and sovereignty um, decided that I needed um, in my life uh, to live in a house full of women. Um, only guy, all girls, even the dog, it's just everywhere, right? And so one of the things that, that I've, you know, I don't, I don't understand a lot. There's, uh, it's, it's illuminated my mind to understand that how much I little I know about the opposite sex by having to live in this situation. But one of the things that I do know is that, um, that our house is full girl hair. Like long girl hair everywhere. Like I, most days when I get dressed and I'm like going to the office, I can find more strands of long girl hair on my clothes than I actually have on my own head. Um, and so this is part of the thing, but I've, I've, I've had to learn how to help with girl hair as well. I didn't ever have to do that before. And so, you know, I'm, I'm help brush the hair and help do the thing. And so, you know, I'm, I've, I've mastered the, the, uh, the ponytail and the headband. I've even graduated to uh, the pigtails and the messy bun. I can do both of those now. Um, Braiding is still my kryptonite. That one is not going to happen. They go to mommy for that. Um, but as I'm helping them, I'm brushing the hair and doing the thing, almost always it ends up with somebody crying, and it's usually not me, okay? Um, and, and, and they cry because they say it hurts. And, and Karis is always the one that is the most articulate about it. She's like, Daddy, you just don't understand because you've never had long hair. You're right. You're right. I don't fully grasp the pain of it. I don't fully understand how to help them get this done correctly without causing because I haven't been there. I haven't experienced that pain. The same is true for us as Christians. 
I cannot adequately step into someone else's mess and stuff and help them deal with it until I have experienced the pain of my own repentance and my own sin and been humbled by that. Then I'm adequately prepared to come over here and help care for someone else in the pain of their sin. Otherwise, I'm smacking people in the head with a log. I cannot graciously care for others until I've been humbled by the pain of my own repentance. If I, want, if I want to do this, if I want to care humbly for others, this is where it starts. Repent of my own stuff, go through that process, that painful process with the Lord, so I can then care for them. The last verse in this little section here that we're going to deal with today is verse 6. And it kind of feels like verse 6 is kind of disconnected from the first part, but it's actually not. I'm going to show you how this connects here. In verse 6, Jesus says this, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Here's the third uh, point this morning. Counsel with caution. Counsel with caution. Um, you have to understand, when he's talking about dogs and pigs here, he's talking about different than the way we think about it today. Um, Dogs in this time were wild, savage animals, okay? They weren't like the little, nice, curly, cute ones that you have on your couch at your house, okay? Like, you can even find this sometimes in third world countries still today. There will be packs of wild dogs running around. That's the kind of dogs that they were used to uh, when Jesus said this. And pigs were unholy, unclean animals. They weren't, um, you know... Thought highly of in any way. And so these terms, dogs and pigs, were actually derogatory terms that people in this day and age would, would use for those people who didn't believe in God, who didn't follow God, who didn't, uh, who despised God even. Okay? And so Jesus is saying those kind of people who don't love or follow or believe in God, he says, don't give them what is holy. Don't give them pearls, he says, what is sacred and valuable. Those things that only are supposed to belong to God. What would that be? That would be like God's word. That would be godly counsel. He's like, don't give it to them because it's waste. They're going to turn and they're going to trample and they're going to tear it up and they're not going to receive it well. Okay, we can take down the angry dog picture now. Um, so how does this apply in our life? Um, I, I'll kind of give you two things here. First, let's talk about with believers, okay, with Christians, with brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we come across brothers and sisters in Christ who do believe in Jesus. They've put their faith in him. But for whatever reason, in this season of their life, they are stuck in sin. They're stuck in a season of sinful rebellion against the Lord. And, and they're, they're caught in that, and they don't always see it, or sometimes they do see it. We talked about like, small group leaders last weekend. There's kind of three reasons for this. Um, there could be ignorance. They, they just don't understand what God's word says about that issue yet so they haven't been able to correct it in their life. It could be discouragement. They've tried to correct the sin issue multiple times, and they keep failing and keep failing and keep going back to it, and they just feel discouraged, like, I just give up. I'm done. I'm not trying anymore. Or it could be that they're just in straight rebellion, and they're like, I know what God's word says, and I don't care. I want to do it anyways, and tough luck. All right? So I don't know which one of those it is, but sometimes people get into this, and we're coming alongside of them, trying to help them, trying to care for them, trying to be good shepherds, of the sheep, and I'll just be honest with you, sometimes, sometimes the sheep bite, right? And as you're trying to help and care, 
they're not ready to receive it, and it, and it hurts. And I think what Jesus is saying here is, uh, we want to love, we want to care, we want to help people, but we can't help them if they don't want to help themselves. That's why we say to our small group leaders, you can't want it more than they want it. If I'm coming to you trying to fix your sin problem and, they, and you're not there yet, and the Holy Spirit has not yet changed your heart to be ready to repent, it's not going to go well. Right? You're going to get mad at me. I'm going to get mad at you. There's going to be a whole lot of back and forth, and it's just going to be painful for everybody. Like We need to be discerning as to when that person, when the Holy Spirit has prepared that person's heart for godly counsel. Because trying to press in and do it before they're ready is not going to go well. You can't want it more than they want it. That never goes anywhere. Good. That's with believers. Um, sometimes when you're counseling brothers and sisters, it just requires more time. You need to give the Holy Spirit more time to work sometimes. Um, we, um, there's a couple that, we're, that we know that we have been friends with and been in church with for a while, been in small groups with, different things. And in, in, in the past, there would be times where we'd be, we'd be in discussion, and they would be talking about issues in their life with, you know, parenting or with their marriage or with their finances or whatever was going on, all the normal stuff that we all deal with, right? Like, they'd be talking through one of these issues, and uh, we would try to encourage them, we would try to counsel them, we would try to help them, and they were never mean about it. They would never, like, push us away or, like, but it wasn't ever really received because it never really changed anything. It never really brought any fruit. It was just kind of was there and got glossed over and then we move on and things just kind of kept status quo until there came a point in their life in their marriage where God brought brokenness and he broke both of them and he showed them and he exposed to them some things that were going on in their heart that they needed to deal with some sinful things that had been there for a long time and until they dealt with that stuff they weren't going to be ready to receive the counsel but after that, after that point of brokenness, all of a sudden we're talking and they're receiving things and they're wanting to grow and we're starting to see gospel fruit. And we're starting to see movement and God's changing them. We're not changing them. We're just helping and God's changing them to the point where just last week, um, the, the guy called me two different times saying, hey, man, I got a question about this. Can you give me some counsel on this? That's a heart that's seeking after the Lord that's ready. The Holy Spirit has brought them to the place where like, yes, I want to learn. I want to grow. I'm ready to hear what God has to say to me. That's the difference Jesus is talking about here. What about with unbelievers, right? In Harvest World, oftentimes we talk about unbelievers kind of in two categories. Those who have not yet trusted in Jesus, there's green apples and there's red apples. Okay, some of you are familiar with this. You've heard me say it before. Green apples are those apples that are not yet ripe. They're not yet ready to be picked. Right? Sometimes there are people who don't know Jesus yet, and we want them to know Jesus really bad because we love them and we're close to them and they're, they're our friends or they're our family or whatever, and we desperately want them to know Jesus. And we try to talk to them and we try to share the gospel and we try to do the whole thing, and they just don't want to hear it because they're green. Because God has not yet ripened them. He's not yet brought them to a place in their life where they understand they need him. And until they get to that spot, they're not going to be ready to receive the gospel. And us trying to force it on them and us trying to, to, to push it on them is not going to help pick the fruit. It's just going to bruise the fruit. Okay? 
So we have to be discerning about where are they at in their walk with God. Are they yet ready to receive the gospel? I'm not saying don't to write them off, but I'm saying go and look for the red apples now. Instead of focusing on the green apples that aren't ready yet, go find the red apples, the people that God has put in your life that are ripe for the gospel, that God has already dropped a boulder on their life, and they are in shambles, and they are looking for any hope anywhere, and they are completely open to hearing a new way. Those are the people that we want to share Jesus with that are ready to say, yes, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to go that way. Now, hold on, Mike. I thought, don't we want everybody to find Jesus? Don't we want everybody to come? Shouldn't we be telling everybody about Jesus? Yes, we do. But sometimes the answer is to stop telling them and just start loving them. If you want to get a green apple to red, stop trying to cram the gospel down their throat every time and just start loving them. I'm not saying don't ever have a conversation. I'm just saying it's going to take, a, it's going to take some time through love and through grace and through prayer to get them there. And that's okay. And God knows that and he's working on them and he's doing his part on it as well. If they won't listen, then love them till they're ready. I think that's the key. That's what Jesus is saying here. I think the reality is we all know people in both of these categories. We know some people that are green apples. We know some people that are red apples. Reality is that we were all in these categories at one point in time, right? Uh, some of us, you know, longer than others ago, so it might be harder to remember, but we were all there at some point, right, where we were not followers of Jesus Christ, and we needed him just as much as they do. And we need to remember that. We need to see that. And so how do we love them until they're ready for the gospel? I think one of, very important way is through prayer. One of the best ways you can move your friends, family, loved ones who are green to red is through prayer. Praying that God would work in their hearts and in their lives. Interceding that God would reach them. So we're going to get after that today. Today we are launching Seek the King 40 Days of Prayer. You've been hearing about this for a while now. So we're going to roll this out today. I'm going to have the ushers go ahead and come forward if you guys got those cards and stuff. They're going to start handing out some resources to you as I explain this for 40 days of prayer and what that's going to look like, all right? So here's the deal. We're going to commit as a church, this is a church-wide prayer initiative for the next 40 days leading up to Good Friday and Easter. So I want us to commit as a church for the next four, to pray for the next 40 days every day in faith that God will move in our hearts, in our lives, in our church, and in our community to bring more people to him. Now, let me just kind of pause for a second. Go ahead and you guys can start handing stuff out. Go ahead. And I know some of you, because I've had these conversations, I know some of you are completely freaked out by this, all right? Some of you are like, I have never prayed for more than like a minute ever. I've never prayed for 40 days straight. I maybe prayed for like three days straight, okay? So three to 40 feels like a big jump, all right? It's okay. It's okay. We're going to give you tools. We're going to give you resources. We're going to help you know how to step into this. And I promise you this. Please hear me. I know they're like really cute handing out the things, but you can look at me and we'll get to you in a second, okay? I promise you this. No matter where you're at in your prayer journey and your development of your spiritual discipline of prayer with the Lord, if you will commit to the next 40 days doing what we're asking you to do, just a, just a few minutes each day, seeking the Lord in prayer over these things that we're going to give you, I promise you, he will honor that. 
he will give you, uh, he will be faithful to that, and he will grow you in your life, spiritually and in your prayer life, through this exercise, okay? So it's not just for others, this is for you. And so right now, the ushers are handing out these packs of prayer cards to each person. I actually meant to get one, and I forgot. Um, these packs of prayer cards, for, um, in here you have a card for each day for 40 days. So if you kind of look at them, each card has a date on it. So you got week one, flip past that. So March 10th, that's today, okay? So we're starting today. It's got the date. It's got a prayer prompt of what you're supposed to pray for for that day, and then a scripture to go along with it to help you understand how to pray for this and how to use God's word in your prayer, okay? So we're not asking you to pray for like a whole big list of things every day. We're asking you to pray for this one thing on this one day, okay? And the next day you're going to have something different, and the next day you're going to have something different. And at the end of each week, I'm really excited about this part, if you flip to the end of the first color, the green color, you're going to find a card that says, I commit to pray for blank. And every week, I want you to take this card. I want you to tear it out of your ring. I want you to write on that card the name of one specific person that you're praying for that needs to meet Jesus. An unbeliever. Could be a friend, could be a family member, could be a coworker, could be a neighbor, but somebody you know specifically that you're saying, I'm going to commit to pray for this person for the rest of the 40 days that they will come to meet Jesus. And I want you to bring that card in, the one you tore out and wrote on, bring it in with you every Sunday. You're going to have a new card each week. Okay, you're going to have one of these every week. Bring in your new card each week with the name on it, and we're going to create a prayer wall in the back we're going to put all of our names up there, and we're going to see all the names of all the people that our entire church is praying for, that Jesus would come and find them and save them and bring them into the family. It's going to be like a prayer altar to the Lord for these names. And we're going to believe that for the next 40 days, he's going to be working on their hearts, and he's going to be giving us opportunities to talk to them and share with them, and it's going to be awesome. Okay? So this is the goal of this 40 days of prayer. Now, um, we're, going to, uh, we're going to do this individually, but we're also going to raise the impact a couple more notches because each week in your small group, you're going to use part of your small group time every week for the next six weeks to pray over these same things. So bring your prayer cards to small group, and we're going to spend some time as a group praying over the six or seven days for that week in your small groups as well, okay? And then also, we're having two worship and prayer events to help us come together corporately and really get after that. The first one is tonight at 4 p.m. right here at Green Park, okay? I want you to come back. If you can, man, make it a priority. Be here, be committed, get here and get before the Lord, and let's join together in prayer and raise our voices and say, God, we commit to this for the next 40 days. We are seeking you. We are seeking your face, not just for us, not just for our hearts, we're going to do that too, but for all those that you want to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? So 4 p.m. right here this afternoon, we would love for you to come and be a part of that as well. So this is how we do it. Right? Counsel with consent, but love unconditionally. This is how we're going to love people. This is one of the ways that we're going to love the lost in our lives. We're going to pray for them. We're going to commit to this the next 40 days, right? If they're not ready to hear yet, we're going to pray that they're ready by the end of the next 40 days. Wise judgment leads me to care and counsel, not condemn. 
care and counsel, not condemn. This is the call of our king. Right? This is what he calls us. He calls us to be a different kind of people, different from the world, different from everybody out there at your workplace, different from your neighborhood, different from wherever you were at. He wants us to be set apart from the world in the way that we care and counsel and love rather than condemn. But the only way that works is if we're focused on him. If we are filled with his presence, his spirit, his grace, so let's pray right now. I'm going to pray. We're going to ask him to fill our hearts again with all of that, to help us commit to follow him and love him and love the world around us with only the love that he can give. And we're going to sing a song of response as we close together today. Let's pray. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me as well. Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, this morning. God, we thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for being with us today and speaking to us once again, Lord, so powerfully from your word. Father, we recognize that you, not us, are the perfect and righteous judge. Lord, yet you, instead of condemning us and giving us what we deserved, you sent your son to take our condemnation upon himself. Instead, you give us love, you give us grace, you give us care. So Lord, change us, Lord, turn our hearts, set us on fire, Lord, to help us to live in response to your love, to help love and lead others to salvation, to bring others to Jesus Christ, to show others what we have found in your Son. Change us and send us out. May our lives be a reflection of you and your love, Lord. May it all be built on you and who you are holiness and your greatness and your awe and wonder. I pray all this in Christ's name.